0: Let's take our Bibles today again. Turn over to the book of 1 Timothy. We're in our study still. Uh, How to build an effective church is what we're dealing with right now in our study. And the book of 1 Timothy, still in chapter 1. We're going to close out chapter 1 today. And uh, at least that's the plan. And so we want to begin reading uh, there in just a moment. Uh, We're going to read chapter 1, verses 18 through... 20 to the end of the chapter, there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 18 through 20 is where we'll be focusing our attention today. It says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith, the good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, in our introduction, of course, we learned a number of things about Timothy, and we learned about his upbringing. We understood that he had a dad that was a Greek. He had a mom and a grandma who was a believer, and, of course, there were some uh, issues there growing up, I'm sure, and yet in the long run, he met <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ early in his life as a result of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul often referred to him as his son in the faith, as we've seen and as we'll note again here in just a few moments. But there was a relationship that began there, a very intimate one. There was a, a mentorship type of relationship. <clears throat> and Timothy ultimately goes on to do something obviously extremely great on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, as we moved along in our lesson, uh, we noted that the book was divided into two major sections, at least the book of 1 Timothy is we said how to build an effective church. And then the other portion or other part of the book is how to become an effective Christian. So we're going to see how to build an effective church <clears throat> and how to become an effective Christian while we study the book of 1 Timothy. And so as we started looking at how to build an effective church, we uh, began right off the bat with the church and its doctrine. And we've been looking at its doctrine from a number of perspectives. And so <clears throat> last week uh, we we looked at it, And uh, we we learned some things as well. And so now we want to pick up where we left off. Now, again, just as maybe a a brief summary, our first lesson, we were made keenly aware that the Apostle Paul was very concerned about doctrinal purity. And he's very concerned about that. As a matter of fact, he sent Timothy to Ephesus in order to kind of uh, root out and to expose uh, heresy in the church. And so that was a big portion or part of what he was to do. In lesson two, the apostle points out some uh, Judaizers and uh, just the fact that um, they misunderstood and they misapplied uh, the grace of God, and they misunderstood the law of God. And so there was that balance that had to be reached. They had to understand how both of them work together, and uh, they do work together. As we said, the moral law hasn't been dismissed. I mean, thou shalt not kill still in play today. Uh, whether we're in grace or not, the moral law still exists, and we need to be uh, sure to, ins- uh, to to follow through with it and to make sure that, I mean, adultery, I don't think any wife in here would like her husband to commit adultery. No husband would like his wife to commit adultery. I mean, that's just common sense. You say, well, that doesn't belong. We're, we're, we're New Testament Christians. We We have liberty. We can do whatever we want. Well, all of a sudden, it doesn't work that way when it comes to those issues. I haven't met one lady, one man, who says they have liberty in Christ that wants their husband or wife to have the freedom to do those things. It's interesting how we pick and choose where we can have liberty. But nonetheless, <clears throat> the moral law hasn't been dismissed. It has not been dismissed as a result of uh, the New Testament and grace, which, which we're very grateful to be a part of. So anyway, uh, the, the apostle, as we noted here last week, uh, before it's over with, I mean, he's... Um, He ends on a very high note and we kind of missed this part last week because I didn't get to it But uh, before it's over with um, There's a doxology here that the apostle paul addresses and it's an amazing doxology in verse 17 He says now unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise god be honor and glory forever and ever amen I mean, that's the direct result of paul's I mean, he's just overwhelmed with the grace of god in his life as we said last week. I mean here he is right uh, murdering christians Here he is doing the work of Satan. Here he is trying to destroy the church. And yet the Lord counted him worthy, uh, you know, counted him faithful in in putting him into the ministry. Isn't that amazing? So the Apostle Paul's, I mean, he's fired up about the grace of God here. He's pretty excited about that. And as a result of that, he goes on this uh, rant about the Lord, and it's a good one. He's king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Uh, And uh, he certainly is all of that and so much more. And so now we enter into um, uh, the last portion of this chapter, which is the end of our first segment of, uh, of our, our study, The Church and Its Doctrine. And uh, we're going to consider the life of faith today. We're going to consider the life of faith in these next two verses. And so we want to do that. And uh, we're going to see that the Lord uh, you know, encourages Paul to give Timothy a charge. And uh, we're going to look at that charge here in just a minute. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We're asking you, Lord, to speak to our hearts today. Lord again we need you just uh, take the message Lord may you apply to our lives Father the word of God is of no value if it's not practically applied And so Lord help us Father to be able to take it and really see how it affects us today and how it works in our life How it truly applies to each of us individually Lord this is a practical book you've given us Uh, We know it's spiritual without a doubt, but it's very practical Lord. It's not outdated. It's not antiquated It's it's seriously uh, right on target for today and Lord, no matter how many changes that society makes and <clears throat> how many differences there are from uh, this year, 2015, and say 1915, the fact is your word's still the same. And Father, you're still the same. And we're grateful, Father, that we have a book that still applies to us and is still practical for us. Now, bless us tonight, and may we be encouraged by your word. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. And so we notice here. The charge in verse eighteen and nineteen, there's a charge given. The apostle Paul, of course, again just finished this tremendous uh, doxology, and man, he is on top side. He is on the mountaintop, if you will. But <clears throat> let's face it: um, even though he is just taken by this indescribable grace of God in his life, and he is just overwhelmed by it, although he's skipping on the clouds, the truth is, is in our lives, is every mountaintop uh, always ends up going down usually into a valley. And uh, it doesn't mean you have to hit the valley, but I'm saying it's going to go down. You can't live on the mountaintops. And the Apostle Paul, no different here. I mean, he's on topside here, but all of a sudden, right off the bat, he says, this charge I commit unto thee. Well, what's going on now is he's coming back down to earth, and the reality of the problems at Ephesus are smack dab in his face, and he has to deal with that. And, uh, I mean, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then before he's, it's done, he comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, all of a sudden there's a demon-possessed boy he's dealing with. All of a sudden there's a group of, of believers that are just powerless and faithless. All of a sudden he's collecting a bunch of sneers and attitudes from a, a group of, of, of his enemies, if you will. Right out, off, out of the Mount of Transfiguration, he steps down and all of a sudden he's faced with some opposition. And that's not uncommon in the Christian life. It's the same today. You're going to have some ups, and you're going to have some downs spiritually. You're going to be moving on top, uh, walking on top side. And next thing you know, you're going to think, "Man, man, I thought if things were going good, and I got blindsided." You know, it's like the devil really got me without me realizing it was coming. But uh, uh, Paul, he's going to face this thing, and he's going to deal with this thing. And so he provides how he deals with it. Is he gives a personal charge to Timothy. Uh, this charge is a very personal charge to Timothy. And he says, this charge I commit unto thee, son, Timothy. So it's very personal. It's for Timothy, specifically for him. The word translated son here is a word called technon. And we've noted that already. It's, it means child. It means child. So it's directed at a very specific person. It's directed to his son in the faith. And again, we, we know that Timothy had an extremely uh, unique relationship with the apostle Paul. Obviously, First and Second Timothy are written directly to him. So we know that there was something unique about that relationship. And uh, still, even though that was the case, Timothy, um, having this relationship with the Apostle Paul, doesn't change the fact that there were some real problems he was going to have to face in Ephesus. Real issues he was going to have to deal with. And so, what were some of those problems? We noted them a little bit, but the wolves were prowling. There were wolves in uh, Ephesus. And I'm not talking about literal wolves. I'm talking about those that go about trying to create problems and and sow seeds of of, um, error in the Word of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Isn't that interesting? These don't just... um, as it says here, you know, uh, sow seeds of of, of of sin and seeds of um, um, apostasy, but they try to draw people to themselves. Misery loves company, folks. Uh, listen, you, you, you know, you find somebody that's peddling some false doctrine, they're going to try to get everybody and anybody they can to follow them. And uh, that was true in the church. Sadly enough, there were people within the ranks of the local church that had departed from the truth and from the faith, And here they were trying to steal people out of that congregation, trying to persuade them that their way was right, that God's way was wrong. And you say, no, they were probably saying Timothy's way was wrong. I know, but that Timothy's way was the Lord's way because that was direct from God. So, you know, that was a real problem. That was a real problem. Not only were there these wolves prowling in Ephesus, but there was a growing lukewarmness amidst the congregation. You say, how do you know they were growing lukewarm? Well, the Bible tells us over in the Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. It's talking about Ephesus there in chapter 2 of Revelation. So we know that there was a problem in Ephesus. They'd left their first love. Many believe that that had to do with the works of Christ in their life. They had departed from those things which were first and foremost in the work of God. But the fact was there was an apathy that had grown. There was a a distance that had taken place. There was a backsliding, a lukewarmness that had kind of taken a hold a little bit in the church at Ephesus. And so we see here that there are wolves prowling around in Ephesus, and there's a growing lukewarmness amidst the, the, the congregation in Ephesus. This is exactly what Timothy, this young man in the faith, this pastor, is facing. I mean, that's the environment that he has to deal with. And, you know, sometimes we look on the Bible and we think sometimes, wow, they really had it good, man. Things were going like gangbusters, and it was, a ble- it was the best. And, man, I wish I lived in those days. But let me tell you what, they had the same problems we have today. And many times they had greater problems than we have today. And, uh, oh, there were some real pluses, obviously, was taking place there. But the truth was is that they did indeed have the same types of obstacles that we face, and at times even maybe more so uh, in some areas. Now, Timothy wasn't just a church member anymore. Timothy now uh, was pastor. He was the leader. Uh, he was responsible for the climate and the condition of the church and its people. Now, you need to keep that in mind. The pastor is responsible for the climate and the condition of the local church. He's, he's responsible for that. So, therefore, here he is now. He's got a group of wolves in his midst. He's got a lukewarm congregation. And he's, he's responsible for the condition... And he's responsible for the conduct, if you will, uh, and the climate of that church. That's a pretty big, that's a tall order. Paul sends him over there to Ephesus and he says, Welcome to the ministry, Timothy. Now I'm giving you a charge. And, And so this is a personal charge. It's to you, Timothy. And you're going to be facing some obstacles, that's for sure. Now... The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. Turn there if you would. <clears throat> I suppose if there's one area that I'm weak, <clears throat> it's that I don't always tell the truth in this area. And what I mean by that is it's not, it's not that, I don't, that I lie about it. It's that I don't mention it probably like I ought to. Because I think people misunderstand it. And, you know, this is where sometimes people say, well, you need to get an evangelist to come in and preach this. Well, we don't have the money to do that, so I'm just going to say it right now, and I'm going to let the Word of God say it. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the Word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. These aren't, this is not the kind of verses that we like to read today in America. Nobody wants anybody to tell them what to do at all, ever today. We live in a culture and a society where even Christianity today says, you know what, you put your pants on like me, don't you tell me how to live and don't you tell me what to do. I'm just as spiritual as you. My name is Cora and I'm doing just fine, thank you. That's exactly what we're dealing with in our churches. I mean, we really have no respect for the position of pastor in most cases. There's, a very, there's very little respect today for the position of the man of God. Years ago, back in the 1950s and 40s and 30s and 20s maybe, there was a position. You walk out the door. I didn't care if they were lost or saved. People respected the position. People feared the man of God even. <clears throat> I still remember back when the church, when I started the church, back in, this was only back in 94. I mean, 20 years ago, 95, 94, 20 years ago, that's all, just 20 years ago, I'd knock on a door, I'd visit somebody, and if they had a cigarette in their hand, they were hiding it, they were trying to put it out, they were stepping on it, doing all, I mean, i would seen them put them in their pockets and start to burn, and smoke come up, on, and they start hitting their leg. I mean, if they were drinking a beer or something, you know, they, they would just kind of like set it down and try to like stand in front of it so you didn't see it. I mean, they respected the man of God, they respect the position. Now, 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 I was never one, a real big, I didn't didn't care. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a farmer. He doesn't look at the pigs in the slop and go, what are you doing in the mud, you guys? He doesn't do that. And as a preacher, I don't go out in the knocking doors or out in the world or even, honestly, in most church members' homes other than teachers and workers and those that take a position of authority and, and leadership in our church. Outside of that, I don't look at people like that. I look at people and go, well, we're just human. We're sinners. Now, now, if you take a position of leadership in our church and I come over to your house and I catch you drinking a beer, well, then we're going to have to have a talk because that's something that we don't permit if you're going to teach Sunday school around here or if you're going to be involved in the work of God in a visible way. We, we, don't, we don't want that. Your testimony affects the local church and it affects Christ's reputation. So that's important. And somebody says, well, I don't think that's fair either. Well, go try to work at uh, uh, McDonald's and, and wear whatever you want to wear. Uh, go, go, go get on an airline and become a stewardess or a steward and see if, if you don't have some rules and regulations and requirements that you have to follow. It, it's no different. We're just trying to maintain a sense of of, of, of um, order here, and we certainly want a sense of separation, seeing that we do represent the Lord Jesus Christ and the local church in which we, uh, att- uh, we attend. So it's important. But notice again here the, the reality here. He uses the word rule over you. That's interesting. Again, the Bible is very clear concerning the pastor's responsibility to oversee and to govern the flock. It's very, very, very clear. Uh, it's, it's very clear. When someone resents the pastor's role as under shepherd, that's a sure indicator that the person either doesn't understand the Bible or they're in direct disobedience with God given authority. It's one of the two, it's not in between. It's not like, well, I just don't agree with that. No, either when somebody doesn't believe that the pastor ought to be the over, uh, under-shepherd and that he ought to be uh, the one governing and overseeing the work of the ministry, then that person either does not understand the Word of God, and, and that could be genuinely misunderstood because it's not taught too much today, but or they just downright uh, are in dis- d- direct rebellion against God-given authority. Uh, that's just all there is to it, to it. So, I mean, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. It's simple if you're in your home and and you have a child that's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 or 20 living in your home or 22 living in your home or 24 living in your home and you ask them to come in at a certain time and they don't come in at a certain time what do you call that? you call it rebellion they know what time they're supposed to be in if you told them to come in they should be in we know what we call it. It's called rebellion, disobedience, direct, dis, direct disobedience. But when the child of God disobeys the authority God puts over him, we call that being an individual. We call that being liberated, having grace. And We've got to be careful of those things. And that's what Timothy was facing a little bit. Timothy understood what some of those things were. I mean, he's the man of God now. He's supposed to oversee these things. And he's got some people in the congregation who are teaching their own doctrine. He's got folks that are kind of undermining the authority of the pastorate, undermining the authority of the Word of God. They're not preaching and teaching the same message. They're not motivated by the same God that he is, so to speak, and the same vision that he has. And that's creating a little bit of tension. It's creating problems. And ultimately, it's going to require some rooting out and dealing with. And Timothy, as we're going to see, he might be young in the faith, but he, he's, he's no little boy in the ministry. I promise you that. And so, um, Timothy's going to have his hands full here. And he's going to have to root out some apostasy. And he's going to do it in a loving way. He's going to have to correct. He's going to have to redirect the apostate even. He's going to have to try to do his best to try to get him back on board and get him flying straight again. But there would be some serious resistance from the wolves and those growing cold and insensitive to the Spirit of God. Now, why would they resent Timothy? Why would they have a problem with a young man like Timothy? Well let me give you just a couple of things Reasons why I think they had a problem maybe Number one They might resent his age And his innocence His age and innocence Timothy you just don't have enough experience You're too young to be the pastor at Ephesus I've been a saint for years Who do you think you are telling me The word of God Or telling me how it ought to be I think that might have been a problem. You say, why do you think that? Well, in first Timothy four twelve, the Bible says that Paul the Apostle says to him, Let no man despise thy what? Youth. Let well, no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to believers, in word and conversation, and charity, in spirit, and faith and purity. I do believe that you know you see the word conversation being used there in First Timothy four twelve, and then you also note that same word being used over there in um, in verse chapter thirteen, verse seven of Hebrews. So the implication and what we understand is that what he's saying to Timothy is, let no man despise thy youth. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by, by people that can't get it, that don't figure it out, that just are not spiritual enough to understand that God can work through a young man just as well as he can an older man. Don't allow that to happen. You've been given a position. It has nothing to do with your age. It has to do with your spiritual age. And so don't be discouraged by that. But what you will do, what you need to do is instead of arguing with those people, instead of fighting with those people, instead of somehow trying to convince them that you are qualified, you just go ahead and keep living it. You keep doing it. You keep staying faithful and continue to live the life and let your life reflect the prosperity and the blessings of God. Now, there are times that it has to be addressed and we'll see that it is addressed. The Apostle Paul makes that real clear before the end of the chapter. But in this case, we noted that, that Paul's being very careful to say, hey, listen, be an example of the believer. What a believer ought to be, that's what you should be, Timothy. You be that. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're a Sunday school teacher or whether you're the pastor of the church or whether you're just a member of the church. Everyone is to be an example of the believer. And that's all we really are, as believers. We're to live like Christ, we're to be like Christ. That doesn't demand a position. You know, a child of God doesn't have to have a position to live holy and separated and to be a peculiar people. I mean, we're all peculiar people in Christ. We're all in the Lord Jesus. We've all been called out of the world and into the body of Christ. So one reason I think maybe they might have resented him was his age and his innocence. Number two, they might have resented his relationship to the Apostle Paul. I mean, here Paul's calling him his son in the faith. I mean, it sounds to me like every once in a while, if I wasn't... If if I wasn't um, careful tonight, I might think, I might just get this sneaking suspicion or idea that maybe the Apostle Paul seemed to show a little favoritism to Timothy. That just maybe he spent a little more time with Timothy than he did some other young men. That maybe he wrote him a little more often than he did others. That he gave him a little bit of extra time. It's almost like he thought Timothy was better than everybody else. At times, you know? Like... Why not somebody else? Why Timothy? Well, you know, Timothy really didn't have a lot of control over what the Apostle Paul did. You know what I mean? He couldn't deter... You know, he couldn't say, Apostle Paul, really, you know, quit shire me with all these letters and quit, quit, quit being so concerned about me because you're making everybody think that I'm special to you. And, and, and that makes me feel uncomfortable. And the Apostle Paul's like, well, who cares what you think? Remember, I'm the Apostle and you're just Timothy? But here's the thing. I think sometimes it could be possible that they resented his relationship with the Apostle Paul. They may have said things like this. In the church, mind you. Some of the people even. The only reason that you're Pastor Timothy is because of your relationship with the Apostle Paul. It's the only reason you have this job. It's because you know the Apostle Paul and, and you're like a son to him. Nobody would ever say that. But i got to believe it may have happened. I'm just spiffballing. Number three, they might have just resented him because of his message and his ministry for Christ. Maybe just a simple message and his ministry for Christ. See, the Apostle Paul addressed the Galatians. And when he's addressing the Galatians, he confronts them concerning their growing hostility toward him. Their growing hostility toward him and to the message that he preached. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 4, because what you're going to see is that these people in Galatia loved the Apostle Paul. Man, they, the Bible says, were willing to give their own eyes for him. But notice how it ends up, though. It's kind of alarming, really. It's scary, almost. Look what it says in Galatians 4, 15, and 16. Paul the Apostle, again, speaking to the church at Galatia, he says, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. Now stop before you read any further. And probably some of you just disobeyed your pastor. But, <laughs> pride, yeah. So the, uh, You're just fast readers, I know how it goes. But here he is now. I mean, notice the position. I mean, early on with the the, the people in Galatia, the church at Galatia. I mean, they would have, as he said, plucked their own eye out and gave it to him. I mean, if he had a need, it was met. I mean, the Apostle Paul was big time in their eyes. They loved him with all their heart. They couldn't help but give him the accolade that they felt he deserved. Because, man, I mean, he was the reason. Him and his men that followed him came into their nation, their country, their area. And, boy, gave the gospel. They got saved. Gloriously saved. And, I mean, turned them from idols unto the living God. And here they are now. Man, they're just blessed. And, boy, Apostle Paul, would thanks, Paul. We're going to send you on a trip around the world. Thanks, Paul. We're going to buy you a brand new something or other. Man, we're taking care... You got a need, brother? Man, you need shoes, brother? We're buying them. Man, you need a haircut, brother? Yes, you do. We'll buy it. I mean, mean, whatever. You know, I mean, they're all over it, man. I mean, you need money for the next ministry. You're going to send you over here. We're going to give you cash so that you can help start that church. And, man, just continue the work you're doing. We're so excited about your work. And you... And notice the next verse. Am I therefore become your enemy? because I tell you the truth. Isn't that something? It wouldn't be long later that all of a sudden now he's their enemy because he's telling them the truth. He's pointing out their error. He's, he's helping them to see that they have erred from the way of the Lord. That they have, in this case, in many situations there, they allowed themselves to sink back into the law instead of leaning on grace. That they included works again in salvation. They were allowing themselves to be tricked and deceived and to peddle another gospel. And he says, have I become your enemy now? Because I tell you the truth. You know, it's sad, but that problem didn't die with Paul or Timothy. It's still, it's still today. It, it exists today. Right, yes. If I could only tell you, if I only could tell you, and I can't tell you things, whether you want to believe it or not, I can't always tell you the truth about things. Things that go on in the church with people. I can't give you the details. I can't tell you what really happened. And in many cases, your pastor looks bad to you because he showed grace to someone else. Whether they deserved it or not, that's what grace is about. And let me tell you something. There are people that may despise a pastor today. At one time, they loved him with all their heart. If that's the case, then there's something wrong here. If the pastor hasn't changed, then you have to ask yourself, who has? That's right. Amen. And that's all I'll say. But no matter how young or inexperienced Timothy was, Let me tell you something, he was all man. And God would use him to do exactly what the apostle had commissioned him to do and charged him to do. And obviously we know the Lord charged him using Paul the apostle. Now, this charge again was personal, but the charge was also very practical. It was practical. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. That thou by them. That word them refers to the prophecies. It refers to the gifts that Timothy received when he was being commissioned. When he was being commended into the ministry. The full time ministry. You know they laid hands on him and God blessed him with some tremendous gifts. And he's saying now listen. He's saying this charge I committed to thee that thou by them. Those gifts and 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 by those prophecies that you wore a good warfare you've been given some wisdom and ability and opportunity now utilize that Timothy like any other believer would have to face a number of difficulties as we said and he's, he's right smack dab in the battle now if you think you can avoid the battle you're wrong not one believer can avoid the battle We are all in it. Now, the only thing is, is that, you know, you can watch people. I don't know if you've ever watched people like uh, maybe um, I I coach football once a year at a camp and and I see young kids go to football camp. I see older ones go to football camp, but I I see them when they first get there. It's full contact, you know, and and sometimes they come there. They want to play some football, but boy, when they get out there in the battle, you can see some of them. They're like, you know, they they they, they get ready to, and they back off. They get scared. I mean, they're 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 on the field and 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 they're wearing the equipment, but they're not all in. You know what I mean? They're not in the battle. You know what I mean? And you know what happens usually? Those people that are always hesitant and kind of holding back. You know what they usually get? Hurt. It's amazing. It's not the one that's going after it, usually, that gets hurt. It's the one that's trying to be careful not to get hurt. And you want to know something? A lot of Christians, although they're in the battle, they're not all in. They're so afraid of getting hurt. You know, we're so afraid to say to the Lord, have your will. Because we're thinking, what if he does, and I don't like it? That's a scary prospect, doesn't it? To think that we truly trust God completely with us. Not that we can really change anything anyway, but somehow we feel as long as we don't tell him he can have us and do as he pleases with us, somehow we can protect ourselves. Protect ourselves from physical harm. Protect ourselves from tragedy. Protect ourselves from being called to the mission field. Protect ourselves from losing our children to the mission field. Somehow, some way, we protect ourselves by not giving God a green light. But let me tell you something. You might as well just get all in. Because if you don't get all in, you're probably going to get hurt. Timothy was well aware of the many times, the, the perilous times, the difficult times that were ahead. I mean, you think about what Timothy's dealing with. He's hearing about stories of Christians being persecuted in Rome. I mean, he's hearing that on a regular basis. He understands that being a Christian, a believer, is increasingly dangerous in his culture and his society. They were being persecuted. They were dying for their faith. But Paul charged Timothy. And he told him, don't you surrender, but instead you wore a good warfare, Timothy. So what he's saying is you better stand for the truth, Timothy, no matter what. That's what you're to do. When Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, he had a list of things. He, he went on, you know, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, you know. And you know that list in chapter 3. And, and, you know, the big one is teenagers like to go that part which says there's a time to dance. And then they start playing the song Footloose. Some of you know what I'm talking about if you lived back in the 80s. You couldn't help it. And you started wanting to ride tractors and play chicken. I can tell some of you weren't very good Christians then either. But anyway... (laughs) But anyway, to everything there's a season, a time to every purpose under heaven. And he ends his list with this. He ends his list with this. A time of war and a time of peace. That's interesting. See... In Timothy's day, the time for trying to reach an understanding with those that taught false doctrines had ended. It was over. It wasn't time for peace anymore. The time for trying to pacify the hostile government and the officials that led that government at that point, eh, it was over. Obviously, we've done everything we can to try to pacify our government. We've done everything we can, Timothy says, to try to keep the officials off our backs. It's not working. We're just being the Christian God's called us to be, and they are warring with us. This isn't a time of peace. This is a time of war. And there are some apostates we have tried to win them back over. We, I've tried with all my heart to pray them in. I've done my best to go to them and try to correct them from the Scriptures, but they will not have anything to do with it. They continue like wolves to go after the weakest of the pack. It's no longer time for peace. It's time for war. It's time to root it out. It's time to deal with it. It's time to face it. And so those battle lines had been drawn both in the church and in the world. And Paul's clearly telling Timothy now, you better prepare to fight a battle and it will be to the death because that's indeed what being a soldier is all about. So when Paul, Paul turns around in verse 19, he says, holding fast. Holding faith, excuse me. Holding faith. And when he's talking about holding faith now to Timothy, this man of God, he's saying, now listen, I'm not just talking about that great body of truth. I'm not just talking about the faith. I'm talking about that faith that has become an instrument in your life to overcome obstacles in this world. See, we know there is that, that faith, the faith. But then there's your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to talk to him about that. And he's saying, listen, you've got to hold to that. You've got to work that through. 1 John 5, 4. For whosoever is born of God cometh from the, uh, cometh from the, excuse me, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. He goes on to say, and a good conscience. A good conscience. Do you realize that A good conscience is absolutely necessary in a believer's life. If you're going to wage war on a spiritual plane, you have to have a clear and a good conscience. Shakespeare wrote this. He said, Conscience doth make cowards of us all. Conscience doth make cowards of us all. Let's just put it this way. If one of these young men... That's, that's, you know, professes that they've been called to the ministry, goes out and gets drunk one night, gets, just ties one on, comes out of the bar or comes out of his friend's house and some people in the church see him staggering down the road and then he's scheduled to preach that next Sunday because we're having a teen night. How much authority do you think he's going to preach with when he knows somebody in the church caught him, seen him, his conscience is no longer clear? And it's longer. I mean, it's going to affect his ability to stand with confidence and to stand with courage and to stand with conviction. You know, and that's one of the reasons why we struggle with our soul winning. Because sometimes we just know our life really isn't as separate as it ought to be. And it's hard to talk to family and friends when they know we're doing just what they're doing. Living just like they live. Watching what they watch. Talking like they talk going where they go, looking like they look, acting like they act. It's hard to share the truth because our consciences aren't clear. Stephen used the word when he was describing it. This, well, Excuse me, the word actually. He goes on to say, well, I don't want to get into it. I don't have time. We're out of time. Really. Maybe we'll get to it later. I wanted to get through this. But you know, it's important that Like Timothy, we understand that we are in that battle now. Now, you may not be the pastor of a church, but you can do your part to hold to the faith, to hold the faith. I mean, to keep it holding on to that and a good conscience. You can do that too. I mean, you hear somebody around you getting in and talking about things. I mean, listen, you go to church like this, you know, you may be surprised. You may get somebody that you're talking to who starts going, you know, I don't really agree with that King James Bible issue. I don't know why the pastor's such a big deal about the King James, and I don't know why he makes such a big deal of it, and I just don't really agree with that, and I don't think there's any problem with reading out of some other versions. and I don't have a problem with any of that. You know how you handle that? You pull out an 18-inch dagger, you stick it in their stomach and twist it and turn it up. No, I'm teasing. You don't do that. You know, you know what you do? You address it. You deal with it, you say, I don't even understand why you're talking to me about that. Do you realize that I'm not the pastor and I can't do one thing about it? But you know what I'll do? Uh, I'll tell you what, you need to go talk to the pastor and if you don't, I'll tell him you, did, you need to. Because you really need to get that straight. Because see, if they're peddling that stuff to folks, especially if they're new folks in our church, they're not, they're not doing anything to create unity. They're not doing anything to, to, to solidify our church. They're just, they're just causing division. And, you know, you do a disservice to yourself and to those around you and to your church when you just go, well, you know what, it's none of my business. Do whatever you want to do. And you just act like it never happened. And you need to tell them, listen, hey, brother, I'm telling you, I know you haven't been here long, but we use the book for a reason. You need to talk to the pastor. He can say, now, if you know why you use it, just you teach them. Open up the Word of God and start going through and showing them why we use the King James Bible. Dig into it. If you took discipleship, you should know something about that. And then, if not, just say, hey, listen, you need to talk to the pastor and uh, let him know. And I'm sure him or one of the staff or somebody will get a hold of you and help you with that issue because it's important. It's more important than you realize. You can do it lovingly. pastor doesn't marry somebody. Maybe they're not qualified to be married at that point by him. You don't have to know all the details. But you also know there's some things in the Bible that the pastor has to be careful with. Yeah. Amen. Instead of sitting and listening to somebody put the pastor down and talk to other people about it and try to get people to see it their way, okay, that's called apostasy. That's not teaching the Word of God. You help them. Come get to the pastor. Don't, don't let them go. Don't, don't just go, well, you know, brother, I'll be praying for you, man. No, you say, listen, brother, uh, you've got a problem with the pastor because he's the only one who can change that. It's his decision. You need to talk to him. When a man has a problem with a man, he goes to him. He don't go to someone else about it. So then you you help him. You help him by saying, hey, brother, listen, I know you want to go see the pastor about that, all right? But uh, you let me know when you have seen him, because if not, I'll let him know you need to talk to him, because I'm going to let him know, because obviously that's something you need to address, because if you don't, the devil will get in your heart, and he'll put a a wedge there between you and the pastor, and it'll hurt you, and eventually it'll hurt other people too, and I don't want you to be hurt. I want you to grow in Christ, brother. Yeah, amen a root of bitterness brother I don't want that to grow into a root of bitterness right now it's just a misunderstanding but eventually it'll be a root of bitterness you're doing him a favor oh I don't want to break his trust he came to me in confidence that's right. I thought you can I I just put it this way I I thought that you owed leadership somebody that's invested in your life uh, that trust first I, I think I've earned that well, I, I don't want to break the trust of a member in the church. Well, what about the trust between you and your pastor? Whatever happened with that trust? It's funny how that doesn't work anymore. We're so worried about hurting the feelings because I think maybe sometimes we want somebody to think we're somebody. You can come to me and talk to me and tell me all those things you don't agree with. I'm not doing you a favor by letting you come to me and talk to me about all the things you don't agree with the church about. Well, I don't agree with this, this new building thing we're doing. I don't think we should ever have ever stepped into it. Who cares what you think? I'm sorry, but you know what? We're we're long past that one. I mean that, we're long past that one. I mean we're in a battle right now. We just just soon you pick up a sword and a shield and come join us up there and get some work done because otherwise we'll be stuck here forever. I'm not liking that a whole lot lately. So anyway, I'm just saying let's let's make sure we're in the battle, but let's help each other. You know, there's nothing wrong with disagreement if we handle it the way we should handle it. It's okay to disagree. We're all men and women in here. We don't all see eye to eye. But we also need to handle things right. I got a brother, brother Jerome. I don't want to go to um, brother Terry and talk to him about what brother Jerome, well, you heard what brother Jerome said to me and I don't agree with that brother. I think it's ridiculous. Brother, Brother, he just, he went like that to me. Yeah, he, what he's saying is that don't talk to me about it. You go see him. I ain't doing nothing about it. Right. And that's the way it ought to be. What good's it do for me to talk to somebody else about his problem? Because you know it'd be his, not mine, because I'm always right. <laughs> well, maybe not. But anyway. Well, let's go ahead and close. But, man, I'll tell you what. The, the ministry is the best thing in the world. Folks, listen. The church, the local church, love your church. Love the people. We're not perfect. All of us are going to mess up. Every one of us are going to mess up. We're all going to say dumb things. We're going to do dumb things. We're all going to do that. But let's work with each other, love one another, and care about one another. And show grace to one another. If you want someone to show you grace, show the same grace to them. Let's let's be examples of that, okay? Jesus Christ is all grace. Man, I tell you what, I love the grace of God. I, I wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for it. And I certainly couldn't stay saved if it wasn't for His wonderful grace and mercy. Thankfully, it's his power, not mine. Well, Father, we thank you. We love you.